This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. The new era of government we're supposed to be in isn't exactly what we thought it would be, is it? Or perhaps you were not listening to the media. You knew they were lying to you when they said Joe Biden's going to be just good old blue collar Joe, going to be a reasonable guy, going to play it straight. All about the the unions and the working folks, right? The usual claptrap from Joe Biden that he's been peddling for decades now, while his party is all about coastal elites, the ultra rich welfare cases, identity politics and radical left wing Marxist ideology, wherever they can get away with it. That's what the Democrat Party actually is. But Joe Biden is supposed to fool people. And unfortunately, it worked well enough that he won this last election, fool them into thinking that, no, no, it's going to be a moderate Democrat party. Look at the number of executive orders that Biden signed on his first day in office compared to executive orders in a similar time period from all the presidencies before him. Biden came into office with a plan, not one that he had, one that has been handed to him and he is executing on it. He's doing what he's told. He's taking the actions that the apparatus around him is demanding. And we see this with a number of issues. The uh, ending of gender segregated sports when it comes to transgender individuals, for example. Uh, There's that issue, which we'll return to later in the show. Uh, The. The the ending of the building of the wall at the southern border. So that's coming right before we're going to have this whole push for amnesty. So a de facto open border joining the Paris Climate Accord and now the destruction of the Keystone XL pipeline project, preventing it from from being completed, deciding that this is now done. It's over with. Why would Joe Biden do this? The country is hurting. There are a lot of people who are out of work. What we've really seen is a bifurcation, a separation of the country into two uh, into two very different classes. There are the people that get to work where they want, when they want, without any change in their wages. And then the people that have to bring them their food, the people that have to actually deliver things to the stores or work in the stores or operate the nursing homes. Right. There are the folks that haven't really suffered during this and don't really care about the suffering that the rest of the the country goes through, but talk a lot about it. And then there are people that have to deal with the negative consequences in very personal terms of these lockdowns. They have to deal with the downside, the downside that's constantly minimized in media discussions about all of this. The Keystone XL is just a harbinger of things to come, don't you see? There's no real justification for this. It's utter nonsense. But the enviro wacko left views this as as a religious, a religious uh, fight. This is a jihad of sorts to stop the Keystone XL pipeline from being built because of the theoretical threat to wetlands or, yeah, it could possibly spill, they say. Well, guess what? The gas is still coming out of the ground. The oil is still coming up. Now it's just going to be distributed by trucks and, and other mechanisms that are actually much more likely to have leakage and spills so they're not they're not helping the environment they're not stopping any co2 from getting into the atmosphere with this move 
But more more to the the immediacy of it, you have thousands of people that are now out of a job. Now, I know that's only a drop in the bucket of all those who are unemployed across the country. But it's not a drop in the bucket if you're relying on that paycheck to feed yourself and your family, keep a roof over your head to pay your mortgage. It means a lot to those thousands of workers and their thousands of family members. And it's indicative here of what the mindset is of this this Democrat administration that's coming. They're not technocrats. They're not savvy strategists. They're not a bunch of of brilliant, highly capable public servants who aren't going to push for partisan nonsense. This is Obama 2.0. That's what we're going through right now. Remember, Obama was a lot, a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, bombastic talk, a, a lot of eloquence, not a lot of substance. And the actual substance that you saw from the policies of that administration were far left, dragging the country to the left. No, no bipartisan outreach, no taking a center path, not being judged on outcomes, but being judged on promises. And that's really where Democrats excel. And that's what you're already seeing. The Democrats couldn't keep promises based on what they said to get Joe Biden elected for a day once he was in office. You really think that's going to get any better? You think that's going to improve? What are we seeing here from this Biden administration, these thousands of jobs that are now up in smoke? Fascinating, isn't it, that there were posts on Facebook that were tagged as misleading information about the Joe Biden, the ramifications of the Joe Biden cancellation of Keystone XL. And you know how they went through this? They said it's misleading because the estimate was 11,000 jobs and over a billion dollars of lost wages from not building this thing. And keep in mind, there's also all the additional profits and productivity and uh, energy security and and domestic uh, domestic production benefits that come from having the pipeline in operation. And this is a great thing for us with our Canadian neighbors. It was going to be a joint U.S.-Canadian project. Justin Trudeau, a leftist, wants it because he knows it's good for his country. Biden shuts it down because the Obama team kept finding ways to shut it down without saying that's really what they were doing. They kept delaying it. And they would say, well, we have to wait for a report from the State Department. And then the report came out. They didn't like it. So they said, oh, well, we got to delay some more. But these Facebook posts that were marked as misleading, now what they're doing is saying, well, these are projected job losses. So since it's a projection, we can't really know. Therefore, it's not true. Oh, is that the new standard for a fact check? If, if I say that there's an estimated, you know, 11,000 jobs that we lost from Keystone XL and all the numbers point to something close to that, they're going to fact check me now. They only do this to anybody standing in the way of the consensus corporatist left. They're shutting down our ability to speak, to communicate, to share ideas. They are twisting the, the notion of a fact check itself because it benefits them right now. It turns out that it is thousands of jobs that are being cost here by this one decision. It is at least a billion dollars of wages lost. And you know who's picking up this tab? Union workers. A lot of union workers were going to be on this project. Now there's no project. So the Democrats say, well, they're only temporary jobs. OK, have they ever met anybody who works in construction? Because most jobs in construction are temporary jobs. You know, you don't build something forever. You build it till it's done. Then you move on to the next project. 
but it's just another dodge. It's another dishonest way to try to evade accountability for what has been done here, which is just a straight up optics based ideological giveaway to the radical enviro wacko left. People who won't change their own behaviors, want to live in big, fancy houses, drive big, fancy cars, fly private whenever they can. But you, you have to pay higher energy prices, maybe even lose your job because we can't have Mother Earth overheat. Oh, no. It's an existential threat. Who really believes that nonsense? I'm amazed when I meet people that actually think that that's true. But there are so many of them. You look at the polling and even Democrats recognize that climate change is a very low priority for a vast majority of them. Because, come on, let's be serious human beings for a moment here. But there there is this minority within the Democrat Party, five, 10, maybe 15 percent who walk around and they say that it's an existential threat. Climate change is an existential threat. And it's a badge of honor, they think, when they say it shows how smart, how virtuous they are. It's a joke, of course. When you look at the change in fossil fuel usage globally over the last 30 years, thanks to India and China, there basically is no change. But, oh, it's we're all supposed to be so thankful for the the climate change activists out there. They're doing such great jobs, such great. You know, you know, who's not thankful, though? Uh, The people who suffer the consequences of bad decisions The people that now have to go home and think, how do I pay my rent? How do I afford my groceries? Because good old blue collar Joe loves the union workers. Just decided that thousands of them have jobs that don't count enough. Here is a manager of the Keystone Pipeline, Keystone XL Pipeline, what was formerly known as, because now, of course, the project's done, telling folks about what's really going on. Hear it from him. Play three. Right now, the, the numbers of jobs... Are, are thousands of jobs. There's, there's Michaels, there's Precision Pipeline um, that would affected that the pipeline was going to be constructed. Um, the actions that were happening recently, we were doing station work. There's hundreds of guys that got laid off. Yeah. Jobs gone, laid off. Sorry, no more paycheck for you. Joe Biden wanted a pat on the head from environmentalists who live in, in Malibu and Brooklyn. Sorry, too bad, no more job. These are the Democrats that are supposed to care so much about the working class. You know what their real plan is? To tax you, to tax the middle class, to tax people who are earners more, to make your life more expensive and more difficult, and to print more money to give to other people. That is their plan. And the whole time they're going to talk to you about how much they care about the suffering and the struggles of the working class, while all their major decision making is going to make life harder for the working class. Going to make your your healthcare premiums go up, going to make your healthcare quality go down, going to make com- competition for your job, particularly from illegal alien workers, go up, going to make your wages go down. We are going to see now the results of a Biden presidency, just like we saw the results of the Obama presidency. And they are weak, if not disastrous. But you know what they're going to do? Keep people distracted with BLM protests against those evil racist cops. Tell people how awful Trump was. Just keep keep on the orange man bad routine. That, that'll keep it all going. And have the media completely in the pocket of this administration preventing. Not only does the media refuse 
to ask real questions of the Biden administration. I mean, that's where you have real authoritarianism when the media and the government are working hand in glove. That's where we are now. Yes, there are a few outposts where real questions can still get asked. And the rest of the media is trying to shut them down. So it's not even that the the uh, the media overall, that journalism overall does the uh, does the work of the Biden administration by refusing to ask real questions. They suppress real questions from anybody else. And it's all going to be the narrative. Oh, look at how great Joe. But look at that. Look at that big grin. Oh, aren't his grandchildren so cute? Oh, he's got dogs at the White House now. Isn't that wonderful? Shut up about the jobs that have been lost from union workers on Keystone XL. That doesn't matter. Look at look at what a nice guy Joe is and how much he cares. They're going to try to bludgeon you into submission with these lies. Get ready for it and resist it with all your might, my friends, because the future of the country hangs in the balance. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Federal government also owns an enormous fleet of vehicles, which we're going to replace with clean electric vehicles made right here in America by American workers, creating millions of jobs, a million auto worker jobs in clean energy and vehicles that are net zero emissions. And together, this will be the largest mobilization of public investment in procurement, infrastructure and R&D since World War II. Just going to spend a whole lot of your tax dollars on electric cars. So that's going to that's going to save us. This is all ideologically driven. This is not this is not based in in good governance. This is not based in anything that is important or necessary for the day to day lives of the American people right now. But, you know, a net a net zero emission vehicle fleet. They want by what, 2030, 2035, all this stuff that you're hearing. They use this very, very long timeline so that they can't be held responsible for the expense, the loss, the frustration, the downside right now. The downside will be apparent right away. But, hey, they're trying to get to a whole different world, man. That's the game plan here. That's what they're doing. But it's so interesting that Biden throws union workers on the Keystone XL pipeline under the bus right away because, you know, the Sierra Club, because the Chardonnay socialists who care much more about species of of eagle that they've never seen or of, you know, owls that they'll never actually come across in the wild or perhaps a small fish, as in the case of the Delta smelt in California. Go check that one out if you're really curious how how wacko the Democrats are. Um they care more about that than they do about the American people, American workers. You know, the folks that have to work with their hands and do a tough and rough job and receive a decent but not nearly enough wage for it. They don't they don't really have respect for those people. But you know who does get a lot of love from Biden and the rest of the Democrats when it comes to unions? Public sector unions. That's right. Public sector unions are sacrosanct. Private sector unions, you can actually make a case for. You can understand, especially people that are in hard, you know, laborious, uh, hard work, con- uh, hard work situations. And they they band together and they get better wages, better benefits. Um, working conditions was what I was trying to think of. That was afraid. Hard, hard working conditions. They they come together and they have 
the possibility of, you know, negotiating with management and, and striking better bargains. Public sector unions, as you know, from the from the dawn of unionization in this country, the public sector unions have been a constant problem and were known in the beginning. I mean, I think it was FDR who said that the idea of public sector unions is crazy. You can't you can't have political power growing in that way within the government, then demanding wages and benefits where their only counterparty is the government, which they can then support through their union donations. So, of course, it's the taxpayers writing all the checks. It's not like management of a private company. So, yeah, they're going to give them everything they can get away with. The biggest drag on uh, the biggest drag on taxpayers. And a lot of you will see this in the taxes paid on your homes. Right. Why do those keep? Why does the assessment always go up? You're like, well, could I even get this amount of money for my house? Because my assessment keeps going up. Well, that's because you are paying for municipal employees, particularly their pensions. Got to back end those benefits as much as possible. You're paying for municipal employee pensions and Medicaid. That that's what runs state and local budgets in this country off a cliff. Those two things. So you are paying for those municipal workers who get to negotiate for their better benefits through a union that doesn't have anybody to stop to step in and say, hold on a second. That's unreasonable. No, if they can get away with it without the Democrats in an area suffering the political consequences, they'll do it. It doesn't matter how expensive it is over the long term. Well, this has come up now in one big case in Chicago. Let's dive into it. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I believe we should make school classrooms safe and secure for the students, for the teachers, and for the the help that's in those schools maintaining the facilities. We need new ventilation systems in those schools. We need testing for people coming in and out of the classes. We need testing for teachers as well as students. And we need the capacity, the capacity to know that, in fact, the the circumstance in the school is safe and secure for everyone. So it's not so much about the idea teachers aren't going to work. The teachers I know, they want to work. They just want to work in a safe environment and as safe as we can rationally make it. And we can do that. And we should be able to open up every every school, kindergarten through eighth grade, if, in fact, we administer these tests. And it'll have the added advantage, I might add, of putting millions of people back to work. Yeah, guess what? The teachers union in Chicago, one of the largest school districts in the country, shot down Joe Biden's proposal for his first hundred days of reopening schools. Yes, this is what this is what we've been saying all along. They're taking children hostage. They're they're saying, sorry, can't educate your kids. Too dangerous to go into school. I'm sorry. Is it too dangerous for the grocery store workers down the street from where I live to go do their jobs? Because they've been doing it from day one of the pandemic. Is it too dangerous for the people operating the pharmacies that have to stay open so people can get medicines and, and, and essential supplies during the because they've been open the whole time? Oh, oh, but teachers are are special. They shouldn't have to. uh, Is their job essential or not? Because if you get the essential designation, 
you should also have to perform the essential service. But now they're talking about doing an illegal strike, even. They're talking about going to that level. Uh, and, and it's all because they say that they, it's, it's because of safety concerns. No, let's be honest here. The teachers union, which is the one of the biggest uh, of all the machines for getting Democrats entrenched in power in major cities across the country, the teachers union is one of the most powerful. You could even argue it's the single most powerful. I mean, it's right up there with the corporate media. But with the teachers union, it's it's real big dollar donations that are flowing into these Democrat candidates. And they also are able to hold society hostage in a sense here by I said holding kids. But with that, it comes their parents. So it's really all of society in, in these major cities. Because they say, sorry, can't teach, can't do it. That means you can't go to your job. You got to stay home with the kid. You don't have money for for uh, daycare. So you're stuck. Can't pay for babysitters all day. Can't pay for private school. So they have a lot of leverage here and they use it. Uh, this is this is uh, appalling what's going on right now. I want to want to be very clear about this, that that the teachers unions, I've been saying this all along. They have shown people here with their willingness to go along. They uh, go, go along with the pretense that school is somehow this dangerous place for them during covid. Um, yeah, they're they're showing that they, that they really just care about themselves. That's actually what matters to them. This is effectively a, a strike that they're calling for, an illegal strike, even though their collective bargaining agreement says they cannot strike. And Biden wants Congress to give another one hundred and thirty billion dollars to help schools. But somehow that's not going to require schools to reopen. The problem here is self-serving unions. The problem here is that the people in charge um, of making these decisions don't really care about kids and what they're really going to be talking about, what they're really going to be discussing uh, going forward is how they can extract maximum benefits out of this whole COVID pandemic. So the country's suffering. Parents are in a terrible spot. But Biden bends the knee to the teachers union because if you're a Democrat, it's, it's like the, uh, the abortion lobby. You cannot be a Democrat and cross them. They will crush you and they do not forget. Absolutely true of teachers unions as well. I mean, the fact that, that you have all these people are saying that they, they, need, uh, that they need special air purifiers and all this stuff. Children are at almost no risk. We've already established that. That's a fact. And children are at very, very low risk of transmitting to adults for whatever reason. That doesn't maybe because the children or their immune systems clear it so quickly that there's just it's very unlikely they're going to give this to an adult. And so what, what we're being told now is that teachers are rejecting in Chicago. I'm sure this is true in other cities. I know there are cities across the country where there's still very little to no in-person learning going on. In New York, it's about uh, for for primary schools, you know, for grammar schools in the public school system, it's uh, almost half of them are closed and high schools are remaining closed. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of schooling going on. That's all remote learning and remote learning, as we all know, is a joke. Remote learning, as we're seeing it for for kids, doesn't work, doesn't work the same way. But teachers get to stay home. And they get to just do a video presentation. They don't have to discipline kids. They don't have to commute. They don't have to show up. It's a good gig. They don't want to give it up.
They don't want to give it up. That's what's really happening. We're all seeing this, right? And they come up with these ridiculous justifications for this. They need air purifiers, more cleaning protocols. Uh, the, the evidence is pretty obvious at this point, to anybody who sees it, that, you know, Lysoling a desk here or there doesn't stop the spread of COVID in any meaningful way. Yeah, I mean, maybe there could be COVID on a desk, but it's, it's in the air. It's, it's aerosolized. That's where you're getting COVID. And they're going to vaccinate teachers. They're already getting vaccinated. In some places in New York, they've been at the front of the line. For a teacher to be vaccinated and to say they're not going to go back into school is just laziness or cowardice or both. It's just wrong. But it's a Democrat, a Democrat center of power. And, you know, they don't care. They're going to they're going to be gentle. Joe Biden will be gentle with these lazy bureaucrats and the teachers unions because the Democrats need them. And please don't send me emails or something. Oh, but I'm a teacher and I want to go in and teach. Yeah, I know. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the actual unions, the union officials who are representing, you know, hundreds of thousands of teachers across the country. They are being a bunch of lazy, selfish uh, union thugs. And they're showing us that it's they don't care about the kids. You know, they're, they're pushing. You know why they're pushing? This is why one of the reasons why I'm so angry about this. You know that they're pushing for schools to open in Las Vegas because of an increase in student suicide and suicidal ideation. All right. So while teachers are all, oh, I don't want to do even if I get the vaccine, I don't want to have to go into the classroom. There are kids who are either thinking about or actually taking their own lives. And some of them are very young, which is usually you don't get this until people are later in their teenage years and there's more psychological issues that can manifest but you're talking about really young kids that are just despondent because they don't get to see their friends they don't have any daily routine outside the home they're not learning they don't have teachers to support them you know there should be an urgency an urgency for teachers to get back in the classroom if fauci was not some little quizzling coward he would go out and say guys every school in america right now every school in america should be open full stop across the entire country there is no reasonable basis to shut down you know k through eight schooling because of covid fears it's nonsense but he won't say that you know why he's a little democrat operative wearing a lab coat collecting four hundred thousand dollars plus a year in taxpayer funded salary that's who fauci is and you're seeing who joe biden is now too just another slimy, self-interested Democrat who's going to do whatever he has to do to keep the power centers of the DNC and the rest of the Democrat Party happy, which means a lot of bad stuff happening to you and me and the country. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Well, my question was, at what date, or roughly, when do you think anyone... Oh, I know. I, I, I think it'll be this spring. I think we'll be able to do that this spring. And uh, but it's going to be a logistical uh, challenge that exceeds anything we've ever tried in this country. But I think we can do that. I feel confident that uh, by summer we're going to be well on our way to heading toward 
herd immunity and increasing the access for people who aren't on the first on, on the list all the way going down to uh, children and how we deal with that. But I, I, I feel good about where we're going and I think we can get it done. Children. Now, now we're going to be vaccinating children against this. Does, does anyone in the scientific community want to speak out and talk about how this is that, that there's very little reason for children to get vaccinated unless there's a concern that they're going to pass it on to a high at risk adult. But think about this. If all the adults have been vaccinated, why are children going to be vaccinated? If all adults have had their chance free and open to get the vaccine, no cost to them, months and months to sign up and do all this. We're going to we're going to what make children get this now before they go to school. For for a, a, a disease that their immune system has a I mean, you look at the numbers of children that have died from this. It's it's like you can count them on a hand or two. It's across the entire nation. Three hundred and twenty million people in the country. We're going to have vaccinated all the kids. Are we going to slow the reopen till all the children are vaccinated, too? This is what we're, we're all waking up now to this reality. The reality of Joe Biden is a third tier intellectual and a fourth tier politician who all of a sudden is now the leader of the free world, not even based on having some snappy slogans and ideas, just, you know, not Trump. Trump, you know, orange man, bad. Trump was Hitler. Anybody but him. And this is what we've got now. Anybody. And that includes Joe Biden, apparently. There's no great plan here. What do you think the administration that's bringing in people like Jen Psaki is going to show is going to blow everyone away with how amazing they are at logistics and execution? You think all of a sudden they've become really sharp and savvy about how to get things done in government? I mean, they'll pursue ideological ends, but I mean things that are actually benefits to the American people overall. A better economy, more jobs, more security, more sanity, less government in your life, more freedom, more openness, reopening America. You think they're going to be good at this? Why? What makes anybody believe that they would have any greater competency than what we saw with the Obama administration, which was just all Obama's so amazing. Oh, my gosh, he's so brilliant and handsome and perfect and wonderful. And we'd say, well, hold on a second. I mean, Obamacare is a mess. It's thousands of pages. It's not good. Obama actually really divided the country in a lot of ways. He you know, turned on cops for obvious partisan pandering and you know, his national security and his international relations policies were appallingly inept and really almost it was like it was juvenile. It was childish, worse than juvenile, uh, the way that the way that the Obama administration approached the rest of the world in the begging for forgiveness, the not understanding who our enemies and allies really were. I mean, it was a mess. But Obama was so wonderful that none of that was supposed to matter. They're going to try that same thing with you now with Joe Biden. He's such a good guy. Oh, you can't get mad at blue collar Joe. He's such a good guy. No, sorry. You know, he he ran for this job. How many times before his whole life has been about getting this job. And now we're seeing, oh, so this guy's an inept fool. This guy's not good at this. This guy's not smart. He doesn't have some vision for the country. And vaccines is going to be the first place where they're just going to lie to you endlessly because you'll see this. They don't have some much better plan. They haven't figured this out. No, they're just they just made a lot of promises that they're absolutely not going to be able to keep. Uh, You have 
Osterholm, this guy, Michael Osterholm, who's one of the Biden, you know, COVID advisor people. And here he is saying, oh, you know, what was done before was was so bad. Play 12. When the Operation Warp Speed activity took place, it was a magnificent example of science and research and manufacturing capacity all coming together to bring us these new vaccines. But the last mile and the last inch were not addressed at all. Basically, the uh, plan was just dump the vaccine in the states. Good luck. And we have to, first of all, know how to get it out, just as we just talked about. But that last inch is critical. How do you outreach to the very people that don't have computers or that may be frightened of the vaccine because it comes from Operation Warp Speed. And so right now, the feet on the ground activities in our local areas that are so critical are reaching just these kinds of people, the people who are at highest risk, who may not even have access to getting to a clinic easily. Uh, how are you going to get them vaccinated? That's what's happening right now, or the plans on the ground are actually being developed just for that. I uh, wish we had them before, but we didn't have the support to do that. The state's have when they have intelligent leadership been able to do this you know what the states are that can't get it done states like new york states like california where the vaccine is somehow a social justice issue the vaccine is falling victim to identity politics this virus kills old people first and foremost it should get to old people but no there's all this who's an essential worker are there disproportionate numbers of essential workers who are people of color therefore do we have to get them the vaccine before other essential workers to balance things out remember how that was written about in the new york times remember what they said the states have been falling down on this one and i just want to scream i'm here in new york city and my father who's in his 70s tried to get the vaccine and it, they couldn't get it done And they're acting like the problem is, oh, well, there are people who are scared of the vaccine. Try to get a vaccine in New York right now. If you're a senior citizen, if you're not even just a senior citizen, if you're, you know, over, well, yeah, I guess senior citizen over 65 and you, it's a Byzantine mess, but teachers unions, you know, 30 year old, uh, fourth grade teachers, they're getting the vaccine. No problem. Cause you know, the unions are powerful. So they set that up for them. No problem. City can't upset them, but everyday folks in their seventies and eighties, Really difficult to get the vaccine here in New York. Who who are willing to wait in line, as my own father did, for four hours in the freezing cold to get a vaccine. They couldn't get it done because they're morons, because these Democrats are all about demagoguery and promises and pretense. They cannot execute. Their ideology is rooted in a vision of the world that is not real, but makes them feel really good about themselves and makes the people who vote for them also feel really good about themselves. It's governance by virtue signaling. It's not going to work out well. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. It's Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi from National Review back with us now to talk about what's going on with this new administration, with vaccination, with the return to normalcy we were promised but not getting and oh so much more. David, good to see you. Always great to be here. Thank you. Buck. So I've I've been very annoyed and expressing it on radio after having had a family member of mine here in New York go through the process of waiting for hours and hours in freezing temperatures in line. He's he, you know, he's in my dad's in his 70s after spending hours to get an appointment. On, I mean, the whole thing is just a a mess. And and we we're hearing from the Biden administration as they come in, they're telling us, oh, but 
the Trump people didn't do a good enough job getting the states. No, the states like in, in, in cases like New York are the ones that are messing all of this up. But it, it's even worse than that. I mean, t- tell us about about what happens if you have vaccine that's going to go bad and you give it to somebody. Well, there's a story out of Houston where this doctor was in. This is back in Dece- on December 29th. He had some of the Moderna. I think that's how you pronounce that company vaccines. And obviously they need to be refrigerated after a while. Um, and they expire. So it's like he goes through the whole day, gives out to everyone who comes. It's 6.30. There's no one there. He offers to give it to the, the people who work there, and they don't want it or they've gotten it, you know, the cops and the first responders. And then he calls up his county commissioner and says, is there anyone online somewhere else who needs it? And they say, no, there isn't. So he opens up his phone, and he looks for some elderly people he knows and uh, his chronically ill wife, and he gives the remaining doses to them. He writes it all down in the log, as he's supposed to, or whatever the rules say. And a few days later, you know, he explains this to someone who he works with. That person snitches on him, right? And uh, he's fired, and they charge him with, uh, I forgot what they charge him with, theft by a public official, something along those lines, which is not, a, it's a misdemeanor, but it does mess up your, you know, your license, stuff like that. It's, you know, it's serious for him. So the, essentially, and this is happening with thousands of doses around the country, we are telling people to drop all common sense to, to, to waste doses of important vaccine because of some kind of weird state uh, fetish of fairness. You know what I mean? Instead of just using common sense and getting as many doses as we can out there. Literally thousands and thousands of doses have been wasted across the country. Probably more than we know because hospitals are kind of uh, reticent to to share this information because they don't want to look like they're wasting, uh, you know, vaccine doses. So. That's just one of the many sort of state-impelled, ridiculous, uh, you know, things that goes on. Uh, the Cuomo has a million dollars. There's a million-dollar fine. I think he signed this. There's a yep. million-dollar fine for for for. for he got he for got rid of. I mean, they got rid of it, but initially there was this million-dollar fine. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's it's ridiculous. I think the best state that's done the best has been West Virginia, which allowed CVS to hand it out to people, right? I'm not sure if that's still the case, but they were definitely in the lead for a while. Yeah, I mean, th- this is what I've, I look around that I'm saying why they've micromanaged. I spoke to a friend of mine who's been a he's a, been a very senior, uh, a senior infectious disease specialist at one of the big hospitals in New York. He's been doing this for 30 years. And I just said, what's going on, Doc? And he said, they're, they're just micromanaging this thing into oblivion. Time is of the essence. And what everyone's getting right now, David, is is a lesson and a reminder that when it comes to efficiency and speed, the government is your enemy. I mean, the government is not good at doing things quickly and efficiently. Um, and and you're seeing that on full display here with and this is this the new Biden administration. I know it's only you know week two, but I think everyone's starting to realize Oh, they don't have some brilliant plan. I mean, they, they didn't even do the math to tell to, to figure out that when they kept saying we're going to have 100 million doses after the first 100 days, they were on pace for a million doses a day before Biden came into office. That was the average. It was about a million a day. So they're going to continue with the, the current pace and they want to pat on the back for this. These are the people in charge, David. This is our great new era of, you know, intelligent uh efficacious government it's actually worse than that in a way because the day he said we're going to hit a million the day before there was a thursday i believe 
on Wednesday, we had 1.6 million vaccines go, you know, doses administered. So he, he says his plan is to slow, slow down the, the, the vaccine, uh, you know, the, the doses. So, but it's even worse than that because he said the other day, I'm not sure what day it was, that we there's nothing we can do about the trajectory of the vaccine. I don't know if that's a direct quote. So, I mean, the trajectory of COVID for the next few months. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, his plan during the campaign, the COVID plan, the Biden COVID plan, the first line in it says, mentions how the trajectory is terrible and only he is the one who can fix it. He doesn't say we're going to fix it in a few months. He said we're immediately, uses the word immediately over and over again, going to hit the ground running and change the trajectory of the virus, which is something he should never promise because he couldn't do. Because there's no one who's going to change the trajectory of this virus because there's nothing to do, in my opinion at least, and maybe you disagree, with the system we have. Or you, you could have... Uh, places in Europe, it doesn't matter if they're free market places or, or socialistic places. It doesn't matter if you have a dictator. It doesn't matter if you have a president. Virus doesn't care about that. No, I, 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 just, just to be very mean, clear, David, I, I 100% agree. And I think now we're, we're past the point where people can have can be people of, of good judgment and insight on this issue who still believe that, oh, Trump was the reason things were so bad in America. Really? Amsterdam is in the most severe lockdown it's ever been in right now. I mean, the Netherlands is getting crushed by this. Belgium had probably the worst numbers of any country in Europe, far worse in terms of hospitalizations and deaths on a per capita basis than America. Is that Donald Trump's fault? Right. I mean, I think people are starting to see the reality of they they created a whole false narrative around how much better they'd be on covid. And it's just not true just to be Trump. Not just that, but they blame, personally blamed him over and over for the, the deaths of Americans as if, you know, he had done something because he wasn't, you know, serious enough about masks or this or that. And what has what has this great plan been from the Trump, the Biden, Biden administration? They claim that they would have a plan, a great plan that would stop the trajectory, that would help people. And what's his plan to have the same amount of, of vaccine doses administered as Trump was already had or to. You know what? What was you know his his um, executive order is like to push governors to have mass mandates that already exist in most places, or to you know there is no there is no plan. His plan is the Trump plan. It's the same as that plan. There is no plan. There is nothing uh, the new that they have. They can't even they, they can't even talk about anything being new because the moment they do, people point out that's already going on, which I think is also now affecting a little bit of you know Saint Fauci. Whom I, I really I mean, I find this guy to be an odious little jerk. I mean, I, I think he's and, and I have very you know, specific reasons. The fact that he won't come out against outdoor masks as some kind of a necessary thing. The fact that he won't come out in favor of opening schools. He won't point out that children are at basically no risk and should not have to be vaccinated to go to school or for any reason. Fauci is like a little Democrat operative. He has been all along. And, and now he's gone. I don't know if you saw this. He's come out. I've been making, I mean, not even really jokes, but there, there are certainly somewhat cynical observations that are humorous to some people about how in time, and I was saying this last summer, they'll tell you that you need two masks and they'll tell you that you need N95 masks and that, and that effectively it's just our fault for not doing that all along. 
Yesterday, Fauci said you really should you really should consider two masks. It's much better than one. That's what we've come to now, David. Now, now that it's almost February and we got, you know, 400,000 people dead or whatever, it's, you know, the science really says it's a two mask situation. When I saw that, I thought of you. Yeah, I, I'm like, listen, get the hell out of here. I, I can hardly deal with this one mask. I just do it as a sort of societal uh, courtesy to the people I live near so they don't feel like I'm, I'm killing them or something. But the bottom line is I am pretty skeptical about the efficacy of a mask in general, out, you know, out in the world, but definitely outside. And, um, and, you know, now they want me to wear two masks. I mean, this is just insane. And just like you said, they're going to say, listen, 50,000 people every year die of the flu. We should wear masks all the time. No, it's dehumanizing. There is no guarantee of complete safety in, in a free society. And I don't think the federal government has the right or even any government to tell me to wear a mask outside or in my own home. If, if, I, if the CVS wants to, to ask me to wear a mask, fine. If it wants me to wear two masks, I'm going to go somewhere else. And um, but, yeah, I mean, it's constant mission creep with this stuff. And he I was I was not a Fauci antagonist or, you know, fan either way. But now I am an antagonist because I'll tell you what bothers me the most. He has admitted already now on two occasions. I can't think of the second one, but I but that we that he speaks to us like children, that he won't tell us what herd immunity needs to be because he doesn't want to scare us. We're an adult in a free nation. Your job is to relay information to us, not to treat us like a parent, right? But yet he thinks his job is to be like America's parent. It's ridiculous. And he's been wrong about a bunch of stuff. So what kind of parent is he, right? Well, I guess he's a regular parent. I, I want to tell you something. Really I, have to listen. I was talking to my uh, my TV producer, Nick, about this earlier in the week. And, you know, because I've been saying all along, I mean, my theory on this has been, or, or my formulation has been, the way we just sort of wave aside Fauci in March saying the general public should not wear masks. It just makes people feel better, but it doesn't really help. We wave that aside when it's it's treated now as though it would be like saying the general public should not take antibiotics. You know, if they have a sepsis infection or something, you know, like like it's treated as though this was this is a clear, uh, you know, it's clear, uh, medically obvious thing that we should wear masks now. But a year ago, he was telling us the other thing. I mean, imagine if he had said antibiotics don't work, right? And then a year later, he's like, oh, no, of course, antibiotics work. That's crazy. Well, I mean, is, is that really what we're supposed to believe? Because he said at the time that masks should not be worn by the general public. And then he claimed that he was lying to us. So he's admitted that, he's, that this is his defense. I'm, I'm just this is what he says in interviews now, that he didn't want there to be a shortage of masks so he intentionally misled the public. But here's the point that my producer point, uh, brought up to me. I think this is brilliant. If that was true, why didn't anyone, David, why didn't the rest of the medical community, if Fauci was lying for our benefit, why didn't anyone say, well, that's not true. We should be wearing masks. Why wasn't he called out right when it happened? Well, either either he was wrong and lie, it cost lives using their own set of standards and, and their own science, supposedly, he cost a bunch of lives by saying that because people weren't wearing masks. Or he lied to the American people. So then he's a liar, right? But more than that, even if there was a, initially there was somewhat of a mask shortage, but you could make your own masks at home, right? People made their own masks. I had a homemade mask my daughter made. It is not like people couldn't have gotten their own masks. He, you know, so 
using, you know, either he's cost lots of lives, which Donald Trump was always being like hit for being too, having too rosy an assessment of the future and that he had cost lives or that he wasn't wearing a mask or then Fauci is under the same, should be under the same standards, but he's not. He's treated, you know, he's treated as the same, you know, saint, the, the, the saint who represents science to us, but yet he lies to us. There's two examples right there. He lied about herd immunity numbers. Like he said, it should be like 65%, but actually now it's 95. And he lied about masks. It it, dri- it drives me up the I, wall. I just don't understand why people are so, let him do that. And no one can be critical in the, in, the, in, the, in the media of him, at least for lying about the things that they supposedly care about, like masks. Yeah. And and I also, I keep pointing out to people, why is it, I don't, I'm not an MD. I don't have a, I'm, I'm not some uh, epidemiologist. Why am I able to predict? I mean, I said in December, just wait, you'll see N95 mask mandates by mid-January. Sure enough, in Germany, there are N95 mask mandates going into effect now. Why? Because what they have is, is not working. Well, gee, I wonder why. You know, how can you see any of this stuff coming? Before we let you go, David, I, I, I have to ask you, because uh, I'm want i going to be talking more about this, uh, you know, going forward. This executive order on transgender athletes. I mean, Tucker Carlson on his show last night had a pretty amazing statistic that there are 300 high school males in America right now who have official listed times that are faster for the 400 meter than the fastest female sprinter in the world. I believe in the fastest female sprinter who has ever lived. But now we're going to let biological males compete against biological women. That's what Democrats think is fair. Yeah, I this is never a big topic with me. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. I I do believe in science and and, and I do believe in, in what I, you know, common sense, what I see. And I think that when you have folks who, you know, have I don't want to say, you know, listen, when you have people who believe that that they're women, even though they're biologically men, that's fine with me. Go on with your life. But once you are now telling me that that boy has to be in my daughter's locker room in high school and is competing and undermining kids in my local high school and is making them uncomfortable in my local high school for reasons that shouldn't you know be, then that's a big problem for me. And that's exactly what this is. And we've done unilaterally by the president as if he were a king not allowing local communities to deal with this themselves. I think all those things are very troubling. Um, I don't want to belittle people who I think, I'm sorry, I think have, you know, some kind of innocuous mental problem, but uh, it is a problem when you force me to play along with that kind of. um, Yeah. And it just, it just feels divisive to to go after this. I mean, politically, David, to go after this day one, this right away, no discussion. Everything he's done has been left wing stuff, right? I mean, cultural left wing stuff. Most of it has been. He's going to govern like a far left winger. The Overton window was moved over because you have some insane people in Congress like Ocasio-Cortez. But in reality, in the real world, Biden is as far left a president as we probably ever have, certainly on cultural issues. There's nothing that's come close. So we shouldn't pretend. And he's doing it all. I think he's had 19, 20 executive orders already i think trump had five and he was like king you know he was he was a a, a dictator right um and these aren't just executive orders to like name a bridge these are executive yeah. orders policy change policies he's doing policies. Poli- policy yeah, by the pen and, and this is all yeah. we're seeing here everyone go check out david harsani's latest especially on this vaccine story he's writing at nationalreview.com david always appreciate your time man thank you buck